Hey up and welcome to the Temple of Bleh. This is a conversation which you could consider to be the sequel to the Roe Coley episode. Uh, this is the chat with Justin Sprower. Now, Justin was part of the Roadrunner Road crew. Fuck me, that sounds horrible in a Yorkshire accent. He was part of the street team for Roadrunner towards the end of its uh, independent life throughout the Warner acquisition. So Justin tells me the stories of how he got engaged with the road crew, the various activities which he undertook as part of the road crew, and the many, many, many stories from those days. During this conversation, Justin makes plenty of references to items, merch, things like that, which he has acquired over the years. So you might not see all of those items and merch and whatnots on the video feed of this podcast, but you can if you go and follow Justin on Facebook and Twitter as The Concert Cruiser, Cruiser with a Z. I'll put links in the description and all that stuff. Anyway, let's jump into it. One, two, fuck shit up. Context for your your entry into this this Roadrunner project um, is Corey Taylor had an interview with someone that was posted on Ultimate Guitar as most things are, um, mm. and he was talking about the closure of the office. And my mate Shab spotted your comment underneath saying, yeah. <laughs> "I was part of the road team. I've got some fucking good stories. It was a great time." So I thought, you know what? I've been looking into like the uh, as well as like the history of the label in general, some of the like the more off-piste things that they used to do. And I got speaking to Ro Coley, who was the, the king of the, the street team back in like 2000 to 2003. So I was interested to hear your perspective as we sort of move our way through, away from the independent Roadrunner into the Warner Roadrunner. Because you see, from what I gather, you, you were there for both sides of that coin. Sort of, yeah. Basically, I... Uh... I, I'm trying to think of what I believed I joined back in 2010, I think, if, I, if memory serves correct. And uh, during that time, they were transitioning from the, uh, uh, the, as you said, the independent Roadrunner to the Warner Roadrunner. But I didn't really, it didn't really come into effect until the end of my time with them, which was around 2013, maybe 14. So by that time, they were still, yeah, you know, everything was still going as you would think it would. They were sending us uh, out to concerts. They were sending us tons of swag. Uh, you would discover where to meet up with the bands. So uh, I just caught the tail end of the Indie Roadrunner era. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So let's talk about the engagement model, which sounds like a very corporate way of saying, how would they like keep in touch with you? And how would they keep you in the loop as to what was happening? And how would they say, right, Justin, get down to the fucking house of blues, do this, do that. We would uh, friend our boss who I unfortunately cannot remember uh, his name right now. And uh, on Facebook, there may have been some sort of a Facebook group towards the end of my time with them, but I can't really remember but I do remember we did have a direct access to our boss. And to be honest, I actually preferred that model. I didn't like the idea of some hub where all of us gathered together just because uh, I've been in situations like that and people will have a tendency to bring their family drama with what's going on. Now, and to be fair, it's not that uh, this drama of theirs isn't serious. A lot of them do go through hard, difficult times. However, we're at work. Yeah, once things, like, once we got our mission, we have our assignments, then we can talk. Uh, just make sure we got our assignments from our boss, we go to the show, do what we have to, have fun, then afterwards, okay, what's been going on with your family? 
then we can talk. And I remember, so, and I think I actually only had one assignment or at least one that one where a partner showed up to the event that I can recall, which was my very first one. And that was theory of a dead man. And mm-hmm. when I lived in Buffalo, New York, now, regardless of what anybody thinks of theory of a dead man, when you, that side of New York, Western New York, the Buffalo area, and that whole entire section up North is very depressing. So a band <laughs> like, well, so, so a band uh, like theory of a dead man and their music really connects to those, to that type of people. <laughs> it's, it's not, it's not a, a uh, a snap on them or anything. Oh, no, no. It's a very, very perceptive connection. <laughs> well, I learned a long time ago from Richard ZK of Ramstein because he said another podcast, wherever your albums sell, that's where you tour. So if you're an American band, but your albums are selling in Japan, you tour Japan. If you're an African band and your albums are selling in Canada, then you tour in Canada. Mm. That's just how the model was at the time. And I think it still is now. You just yeah. got to go where your audience is and their audience was that area of new york yeah yeah so what is in terms of like in terms of what i was just saying the engagement is you you start out in a sort of like linear unilateral model where you knew the guy there was a hierarchy and then there became like a hub and then obviously as things get with social media things start to get a bit muddy and yeah yeah fair enough i mean I, I guess it's probably worth mentioning like the remit of the street team as it as it stands they're effectively as I understand it, you can obviously redefine this and correct me wherever you see fit. Free labor for a prom- on a promotion is, it's free labor doesn't really yeah free labor is a disingenuous way of looking at it. It's, well, you could say it was free labor because it was volunteer work. We yeah. did in fact volunteer. It's like hey, do you want to sign up and by doing this? Uh, well, we will send you you know all the swag. We will give you a free ticket. And you'll have a chance to win prizes, which I'm sure you'll ask me about later. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you could say it was free labor, but it was something that we agreed on. We knew going in that we were not going to get paid for this. We did it because, well, for one, you got free tickets to a concert. I mean, how can you turn that down? Yeah, this is it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you, you you joined the marketing arm of that particular locale and that particular uh, location for wherever the mm-hmm. gig was, and you got goodies in return, which stacks up. Yeah. So for, so at least to someone like me, who was uh, to this day is still an avid concert goer. It's like, fuck yeah. Why do I sign up? <laughs> so why Roadrunner and not say, I don't know if Jive is still going. I think Jive is still going, but there's a few street teams out there, isn't there? There's some, uh, the, believe it or not, the street team I got my start with was actually not for a particular label, but from an actual street team website called streetwise concept and culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did everything from movies, music, video games. Uh, like I remember they gave us demo discs for a, a crash bandicoot game at nice. one point. Yeah. And uh, they even gave us swag for movies like uh, identity, a game like true crime. I think it is. I can't quite remember, but the stuff you got were like DVDs, stickers, pencils, posters and like even when they did fun with dick and jane they gave you like little hats and like uh, those um beanies that had like the that, that, that looked like uh the kind of like a crook would wear you would only see this the eyes mm. uh yeah so i got my start with that then uh that started to drift away and i noticed that individual bands start to have their own street teams papa roach lincoln park corn which i was on for theirs as well 
theirs operated somewhat similar where again, they would still send you swag and you would actually type out a report of what you did with all this stuff. You would take pictures of you hanging it up or giving it to people. You would then post it on one of these photo album websites like Photo Bucket. I'm not sure if that site is still around anymore. And, <laughs> then you would, <laughs> and then you would send them the link with the report. Although I will say I was at a serious advantage because at the time, I worked in the electronics department at Walmart, so I could actually try to sell these their CDs there. So I would type in, yeah, I sold this many albums for them. And they, <laughs> and they would actually have this ranking, like maybe a top 20 ranking of their best street teamers. And needless to say, I definitely made it to the top of Corn and Lincoln Parks. And yeah. when you did that, uh, you, could actually, you're, you could actually meet them at their next big concert. Like I, like I met Corn at, I think it was Family Values 2006 uh, during that time. Uh, I met Lincoln Park. That was actually the second time I met Lincoln Park, actually, mm -hmm. at uh, Project Revolution 2007, uh, again, just for their street team. And it was, honestly, it was a lot of fun to just kind of go around and just, like, start handing this stuff out and, and just seeing people's reactions, like, oh, my God, because, um, I mean, I, I look at that swag as, like, seeing, like, as, like, getting a little guitar pick. It's like a tiny little memento of the show or the experience. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a tiny piece of plastic, but you got something for free at this uh, event and it touched people. And it went from that to Roadrunner. And when I uh, did Roadrunner, I got this giant box in the mail and my folks were like, Justin, what is this? I don't know. Let's open this thing up. I ripped this thing open and I am just seeing a ton of swag for so many bands. <laughs> and there, and my folks are like, did you win a contest or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> because, uh, and the same thing happened with Papa Roach. I got another big, huge uh, package from them. And like, what's a Papa Roach? Like it, it, it's a band. Uh, how I got all this, I don't know. Although, oddly enough, uh, I have a bit of a small connection with Pop Roach. Uh, they don't know me or anything, but when they're just before their debut album came out, I got a small little uh, promo cassette tape of their songs that had their address on it. I listened to it, typed them in that, typed them up a letter, sent it to them. Four weeks later, I get a letter back from them. And so I still cool. have... 2000? Yeah, I still have it to this day. It's up on my wall right now. What the <laughs> fuck? That's crazy. I've, I've taken it to several shows going, hey, guys, I got this from you. You're like, oh, my God. And <laughs> I've done this like maybe three or four times. And they have, and my, uh, I guess my face has not quite sunk into their memory yet. However, one thing that helps is if you wear the same shirt at every single show. And being a plus size guy, I wore this light blue shirt that says, I beat anorexia. <laughs> and, <laughs> and at least the, their guitar boy went, hey, I know you, don't I? <laughs> Uh, and, uh, so when you got all this stuff, uh, for me, at least they actually got my email address wrong. So I had no idea where all this came from, but judging from the, I was, like I said, the, the swag, they're all road order bands. So I went to the website to check and sure enough, I actually made the cut for the team. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I had, let's, you know, let's, let's unpack that a bit because there's, when you say it right, made sure. the cut, is there a. Is there a vetting process? Because I do remember some of the questions they asked you were, do you have a cell phone? Do you have a camera? Because at the time, smartphones still have not taken off. Mm. Uh, do you have your own set of wheels? 
And I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, was part of that, that contributed to it because at the time, yeah, I did have my own vehicle. I did have a cell phone and I did have a digital camera because obviously, you know, a disposable camera is not going to cut it for something like this. Uh, so I'm pretty sure that played a factor into whether or not you got selected. And at the time, Buffalo was still a hotspot for vans to tour in. Uh, when I lived in when I lived in that area of New York, the best venue, or at least the venue they kept going to, was a place called the Town Ballroom. And I found out that there's like maybe three or four other venues within that area. Mm-hmm. So bands of all sizes and uh, stature would go there. Everyone from a band like Trivium to a band like Animals as Leaders. So yeah. Buffalo. So I'm pretty sure that's what they saw in me and what I could do for them, and. Obviously, that led to Pennsylvania. That led to Ohio. And so I'm pretty sure they looked at location, transportation, communication, and photography as part of the vetting process. It makes sense. I remember speaking, when I was speaking to Roe, he said at the start of the whole thing, they had like 200,000, no, it can't have been 200,000. It might have been 20,000 email addresses and like contacts mm-hmm. with street teamers. And he was like, well, I can't control that many people. We've got to do like a vetting process because, you know, otherwise you're just fucking burning money. Yeah. Burning it. Plus, not, not to mention, uh, you, uh, these people, uh, you don't know whether or not these people are actually going to do the job. Yep. Uh, you could be sending them all the swag and, you know, who knows if they're even doing what you sent them out to do. So I'm pretty sure they had to whittle it down from uh, – when they when you submitted for your first assignment and whether or not you did a good enough job, I mean, if there were small little things you could have done to tweak your your job, then yeah, they would tell you. Like if uh, you hang a poster up somewhere, you don't take a picture of the poster. You gotta step back and take a picture of the surrounding area. So that way, if like if especially like if people are crossing it, then those like then they'll know. Oh, okay, yeah, this is where people can see the poster. Uh, but if you kept screwing up, I have to imagine that they that you were probably let go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why Roadrunner, though? That's what, We skipped over that bit. Yeah. Basically, I just noticed that uh, somewhere around the early 2000s, like I want to say maybe 2001, uh, music shops, CD stores, record stores, whatever you want to call them, were still popular social hangout places Mm. and i just kept noticing like you that tiny little red rectangle that kept popping up on the spines of all the cds i was interested in and i just kept going what the heck is roadrunner records and so when i got home you know did some research and went whoa these are all the bands they got fuck yeah (laughs) Like Roadrunner is awesome. Uh, and that's what uh, introduced me. And matter of fact, when I went to Ozfest that year, I actually went from to uh, I've been to like maybe eight different Ozfests. And I just noticed that, yeah, and I noticed that their bands kept popping up on the tour. And that was another indication like, what's going on here? Who are these guys? And when I went to, because I don't think there was any Roadrunner bands on 2000. I might be wrong, but I don't recall. But I do know that Slipknot and Spineshank were on 2001. And 
again, that's why I started noticing that Roadrunner was becoming a force in the metal world because they kept sponsoring all these different tours and festivals. Mm-hmm. And that's how I got to know the name. And they kept handing out, uh, as you saw, little CD samplers. Yeah. And of course, they made sure that their logo was stamped all over these things. That is Meta- still in Meta- its uh, saran wrap. Yeah, uh, this actually came from uh, a Fort Rock, I think back in 2017 or 18. <laughs> <laughs> and matter of fact, I even remember telling them uh, towards the end of my tenure that I think uh, it's time to bring these back, see uh, promotional CDs, because while uh, smart technology is definitely convenient, I will never take that away, there is something a bit more impactful about handing someone a CD that's you know professionally made sleeve, saran wrap, you're at a concert and you go, here, check this out on your way home. So you take this, you rip it out, you throw in your CD player. And I just think it makes a bigger impact. Well, it's, yeah, yeah, it's never been cheaper to produce. And this, the Spotify algorithm isn't sophisticated enough to give us a similar experience or give us a similar recommendation. Because it's like, all right, you've spent you know seven hours listening to Trivium and Slipknot. Maybe you'll like Metallica. It's like, what? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's one thing with the internet is that there's now all these new other genres that you didn't know existed. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? <laughs> uh, but if you remember, I told you, uh, my uh, uh, street team career started with Streetwise Concept and Culture. Yes. And they're the ones who actually made the OzFest 2002 sampler. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> just a, And then it eventually went on to roadrunner in the later years of ozfest uh, i never noticed that roadrunner presents ozfest yeah. yeah yeah like i said uh matter of fact i actually have a collection of these things <laughs> <laughs> oh that oh dude that's nothing this oh no <laughs> is are a ton of promo cds and dvd samplers that i have collected over the years this is not, because, not all just roadrunner this is just everything. no this is yeah i mean i got stuff in here from like silverstein to the OC from Fox. Wow. This is a promo DVD. Yeah. You're an and, expert in collecting promo stuff. Including OK Go before they became a uh, uh, a music video band. <laughs> but, but yeah, like this, I kept this stuff just because this was how people promoted themselves at concerts back in the day. Uh, it was, it's a major part of music history. I mean, hell, like... <sighs> I actually have an old Power Man 5000 for when they're about to release anyone for Doomsday. <laughs> That's crazy. That's fucking bonkers. I must have got rid of all of mine from years ago. But all right, lay, lay on lay on some of your stories and lay on some of your um, experiences as the. Uh, I was going to say Il Duce of the of the Roadrunner Road. Okay, well, when I first got uh, the gig, it was obviously very very exciting, uh, and then it came time for. Uh, for when you want to do your own, when you want to go out on assignment. And as I said, I lived in that area of New York and I noticed that Theory of a Dead Man was coming to that area. Now, at the time, I had no idea who they were. I never heard of this band. But, you know, I was excited. Like, yeah, let's do this. So I went to the website. There was a website where you can go to select what shows you want to do. They would tell you what shows are coming to your area. Uh, You can select how long of a radius you're willing to travel. And I figured, okay, uh, Theory of a Dead Man, here, let's try this. And uh, you found out 
uh, weeks ahead of time whether or not if you got the gig because uh, they would still send you out this box of swag. And then as the day got closer, they would tell you your assignment and who you're supposed to meet up with there. And in this case, I did meet up with a colleague who sadly I don't remember her. Uh, and you would meet up at the venue and you would start doing your job. And the first thing was to, of course, hang up these posters. Now, the posters, they, they always tell you don't hand these out to people. It's got to be for people to see. Well, the problem with that is you put one up, it comes right back down. Yeah. A fan is going to snag it. And I take pictures of people with him. Like, I'm telling you, I didn't give it to these people. They took it down. They wanted it. <laughs> uh, so they went, fine. But the venue can sometimes be uh, – they'd have their own rules because uh, you have to uh, – the venue that we were at, had just painted the walls so they did not want you to hang up stuff but luckily my uh the woman i was working with she actually had painter's tape so you could actually hang stuff up and it wasn't gonna you know tear off the paint or anything cool. and you have to pay, post these things where people will see them so you kind of have to look at where people's eyes are going and just kind of you know uh hang them up there like one of the best spots was and i'm not kidding here urinals yep <laughs> because yeah you're staying there at the urinal you post a picture right there above it boom there you go yeah jobs are good at uh, yeah and uh <laughs> and also uh the town ballroom they actually had this uh smokers area because uh i believe in new york at the time you could not smoke indoors they, they might still have that law but you would uh once you go into the show you can still hang out in this area and at least hand out stickers they did have mm -hmm. stickers there that you could hand out to people and uh, you would tell, and if you had, if you knew what time they were coming on, then if you, then you would write down when they're, when they hit the stage at that time, or you just put down when doors open. Mm -hmm. uh, so once that was done, uh, you go in there and you enjoy the show. Uh, and I definitely enjoy Theory of a Dead Man. Uh, like I said, their music did reflect that time and area and scene in New York. Uh, and then this girl that I was working with, because uh, they were the headlining band. She goes, okay, do you want to meet the band? Really? Yeah, sure, let's go. And uh, turns out you just go to the back of the venue. The, the back of the venue was on a public road, so they couldn't just block it off. And that's where all the buses were. She goes, just give it a minute. Just kind of kick <laughs> back, relax. And sure enough, here comes the band. And uh, they thanked us for all our work. They signed some posters for us. Uh and they are Canadian, and that accent of theirs did slip out from time to time. <laughs> they <laughs> noticed it, and they definitely had their fun with it. And as you saw in my photos, uh, yeah, I got to meet them. I still have that signed CD to this day. Yeah, I, I did get some other things signed by them, but I did give those out to some of my friends because they knew that I was the Willy Wonka of the concert scene. <laughs> and uh, once that was done, you upload all your photos to that website. You fill out your report send it in and if they think you did a good job uh they would reward you they would actually send you uh to this other page on the website where you can actually submit what rewards you wanted and they had stuff like a uh uh, uh autographs dvds cds like i remember at one point they actually had a slipknot skate deck wow. in there yeah but but me i always went for the autographs because those I know were worth money. <laughs> uh, and the first one I got was uh, a signed Nightwish poster. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I still have that frame <laughs> to this day. <laughs> that's awesome. It's, 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 the thing that interests me is the fact that, because I, did, I didn't do a lot of street teaming. When, 
I was thinking I did one bit for Evile, which is mm. a British thrash metal band, and they're a local band, so I was like, yeah, I'll do anything. And they just gave me a load of posters, and I just went up, up around Halifax, the real Halifax, the UK Halifax, and just yeah. banged them wherever I could, blah, 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 blah. And that was kind of it. I didn't do it since, um, any, anything else, but there wasn't a portal online. It was just a tube with posters in it, and you just did your thing. It wasn't even someone I contacted. There wasn't anything. So it's really interesting how there was an entire infrastructure, especially at that time, which was effectively... They must have really relied on the street teamers to get that buzz going on the local level to to, it, it, to, to afford that much of, of a, a process mm -hmm. yeah uh it was you could definitely tell just by the fact that that there was street team back then just how much the music industry has changed uh yeah because yeah, they everything is done online nowadays and bands and artists are just not really making the kind of money that they used to not just for rock but across the board mm. record sales are down across the board it's not just rock so when Gene Simmons says rock is dead, well, so is everything else. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there's a friend of mine who's a session drummer, and he's the one who revealed to me that uh, that record sales are just down across the board. Uh, so it's definitely a different it's a different game nowadays. Uh, there's still people who will do what's called e-teaming, where you do it online. Yeah. But as I said before, I just don't think it's as effective because you know you're bombarded with ads for everything. Be yeah. it, you know, you know, an ad before a YouTube video to just some random ad on social media. It, like, I think it's gotten to the point where people are just um, are immune to that now. Yeah. Like, they see an ad and it doesn't even affect them. People know that people are so aware now that the journey that the ad took from its inception to in front of your screen was a series of checks and ticks and things like that to know that the person that's seeing it knows that it's designed for them. Therefore, the person seeing the ad knows that they are being sold to. Therefore, you just put an absolute blocker up. Mm -hmm. And as you say, you don't really get that when you hand it a CD, which is like, take a fucking gamble. Just have a, have a fucking go. So, as you, sorry, go, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, so of, of your exploits, you've got, you've sent me a, a shit ton of pictures and um, <laughs> of, uh, you with bands or autographed things. Um, I don't know if it's too much to go through. I don't know if you, um, let's just go like, what, what's your most prized possession slash picture slash experience for the road crew? Uh, there's a, there was a shit ton. I saw yeah. some, there was a dragon force one, which I don't know if it was when Zippy was still singing. Yeah, it was, uh, what happened with that was, uh, uh they were coming again to Buffalo. They had just released, uh, their not in, in human rampage. It was, uh, the, oh, the album that came down. out. There we go. That was, it was that album. And they were coming back to Buffalo. And again, same shtick. I you know, got the posters and the swag. I started handing stuff out. Went around to the back of the venue to meet them. And uh, they're actually very fan-friendly. Uh, yeah. They will they'll stay out there. They'll sign autographs. They'll take pictures. They love their fans. And at the time, I was actually trying to get my own band going. But my the guy I was playing with was rather egotistical. And so I asked you know, Herman Lee, who is you know a pretty good shredder himself, Asked him, man, what should I do? And he, and I'll never forget this. He goes, kick him in the nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry, kick him in the nuts and leave. Okay. <laughs> uh, and just said, uh, we don't need any more rock stars in this business. <laughs> <laughs> Best advice I ever got. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was a lot of fun, and 
I'll never forget. I actually got to go. Uh, I actually managed to get my way down to the, the, the barricade of the stage mm. and they were, they would flick guitar picks and I don't know how, but I just held my hand up and one just landed right in there. <laughs> and I still have that pick to this day. Uh, it was actually Fred's the, their bass player at the time, at least. Hey, I got, uh, I think the exact same one. Um, yeah, I think it's over there somewhere. Yeah, I've yeah, been any human rampage one. Yeah, uh, let's see. Uh, there was another story where uh, I actually did a, a show for Megadeth, probably one of the mm -hmm. biggest bands that I got to work for, but it was the same venue. It was the Town Ballroom. And uh, they actually had this deal going on where if you bought their CD there at the show, you would get to meet both Daves, um, Mustaine and Elson. <laughs> and so I figured, okay, screw it. Why not? So I did that. And I even brought that um, Megadeth poster you saw, that, that, that uh, beige one. Yeah. Yeah. I brought that with me for them to sign. And whenever I work a Roadrunner show, I always wore this shirt, more on this in a little bit. And uh, I bought the CD. I got in line. I was excited. And Dave points to my shirt and goes, Oh, you're with Roadrunner. Don't ever tell anybody you're with them. <laughs> Why? Because they're shit. What? <laughs> <laughs> if you've never heard Dave Mustaine speak, that's exactly how he speaks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and they, 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 I guess they didn't do right by him because I think he only had one album that released on that label. I think he did. I think he did one or two. Um, yeah. I think he he left shortly before mm. the time which will be referred to as the Red Wedding. And there was, let's see, what was another? Uh, I just had it. I did a show for. Uh, oh God, this is killing me here. Well, I'll give you another one here. Uh, I did a show for a band called Medina Lake. Now, Medina Lake was one of their more alternative rock acts, yeah. which, to be fair, you do need those. The, those are more accessible to people, and musicians behind the scenes still have this great deal of respect for everybody, despite what audiences say about other bands. Mm -hmm. And, again, you had to place these things where people's eyes were looking. And because it's in the summer, it's hot, nobody is looking you know, str you know, straight ahead of them. All their heads are pointing down. So some genius for some other street team, band street team got this brilliant idea to take the posters and tape them to the road. Excellent. Yeah, the, the, like <laughs> those, those little walkways you see in the huge amphitheaters, they got the genius idea to tape them to the road. I call it poster road. And so <laughs> I figured, screw it, I'll just add to it and just start taping them all down. And I had to tell my boss, like, look, this is where they were. Okay, look, here, look, look here's my proof. You got Medina Lake, and now you have Aiden, now you have William Control. Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, really? People did that? Like, yeah, they did. And to be fair, it worked because that's where everyone's eyes were, and that's where you saw it. Yeah. And uh they and Medina Lake knew I was there. And they were doing a show on one of the side stages, the one that's like mm -hmm. makeshift belt out in the parking lot somewhere. And when they got done, they knew who I was. And they basically just kind of grab me by the shirt and go, yank! And they take me back behind the stage. They're like, hey, the guys just want to say thank you for all the work you've been doing for them. And I'm like, sweet! And, uh, I got photos with them. And oddly enough, I don't know how many people know this, but the two twins that were in that band were actually on an episode of Fear Factor. Wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, all roads yeah. lead to Joe Rogan, I see. <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, it was a special twins edition, and uh, they were trying to raise <laughs> twins edition of Fear Factor. Yes. 
and they were trying to win money for <laughs> they were trying to win money for their band at the time which was called the blank theory and they said uh joe rogan wanted them to sing something right there you know from the cameras and they say if we come back tomorrow we will well they came back tomorrow and they had to own up joe made them <laughs> And the episode's on YouTube if you can find it, and it's right. it, it, it's hilarious because like shit, we got to do this for real now. <laughs> <laughs> what was the uh, main difference between Streetwise and, and Roadrunner? Because I know Streetwise is a, is a third party that labels would hire them out, so it was like an uh, engagement model thing. Uh, basically, with uh, Streetwise, they would send you the stuff, but uh, you could so, you could select uh, which. Uh, product you want to shill for uh yeah. like if you <laughs> or work for my bad uh like like the first show i did for them was this band called kittens for christian it was this grunge band <laughs> and awesome. yeah and they were and despite the name they were not a christian band but they were signed to Serge Tankian's record label at the time, surgical yeah. strike records yeah. so uh they sent me out to the culture room down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This was before I moved to New York. And sure enough, I got all the, the those posters. I think I even still have a CD from them in that stack somewhere. Uh, and you would... Oh, there it is. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Uh, and if... Uh, and I think it actually made people a little uncomfortable because they're wondering, who is the stranger who wants a picture of me holding this stuff? So it was a little uncomfortable for a lot of people at the time, especially because uh, this wasn't that kind of a band. This was not the kind of, you know, rowdy, rough band that you're there to kind of rock out. You don't care who takes a picture of you. Mm -hmm. uh, while they were a grunge band, it's not like they were Nirvana. They're still, there was still uh, people there who were like properly dressed because the headline act was the Ravenettes and that's who mm -hmm. they were mostly there to see. Uh and I would go, they said if I did a good job, you know, they would send me vinyl copies of System of a Down's uh, Steal This Album. Oh, wow. Yeah, although I never got it. <laughs> uh, I kind of like, uh, guys, hello, never got it. <laughs> uh, but I still did it anyway, just because I thought, you know, this was still fun and I still got free concert tickets. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they were as dedicated as Roadrunner was. Uh, to give one example, like when you did a, a job for Roadrunner and if you didn't get your prize and you're like contacting them like six months after the event, they would say, okay, you know what? That's the cutoff date here. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were actually at least listening to these complaints that people had for when they were doing their job. Yeah. Uh, and again, I actually, you did, at least I did. I had a good relationship with my boss. Like I would actually check out the latest releases, tell them what I thought. And he, I think, was at least thrilled that I was someone who was dedicated to something like this, which I was. It was like having a job in the music industry, which was something that every teenage musician always wanted. Yeah. It got me closer to where I wanted to be. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's kind of the soundbite, isn't it? That's exactly, I think that's exactly what they set out to do with the street team as well. Yeah, because like yeah. I, I, I didn't know who my boss was over at Streetwise. I, I didn't connect with them, but yeah. uh, uh, I almost want to say that I think his name was maybe Tom Hefter, if I remember correctly. I'm not familiar. Yeah, I can't remember. I'll write like, it down though. Yeah, and 
uh, I would you know message him, and with that, I was you know getting a relationship with my boss, and they were getting to know me and my area, my neck of the woods, and that's what made it feel much more personal with uh, with them rather than streetwise. Did it feel because you're doing? socially abrasive things by making people look at the thing that you want them to look at and getting in their face with the CDs and things like that. Did that, you know, how old were you at the time when you, you started that? Like with, I, think, I started with Roadrunner specifically. Uh, I want to say like I was maybe 18 or 19. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't really bother me because to be honest, part of me uh, want to be a performer. I still do. Yeah. So, and when, when you're a performer, the idea was to always get people's attention uh, matter of fact, and I, I, I remember this was the story I wanted to mention earlier as far as getting people's attention go. Mm-hmm. We at one point had Rob Zombie signed to Roadrunner. Yeah. And that was an exciting day. And when it came time to promote uh, his album, Hellbilly Deluxe 2, this was before he was on Mayhem. Mm-hmm. What they wanted us to do was to dress up as zombies. I am not kidding. Go to the Go to our local Hot Topic and do a zombie crawl. <laughs> yeah. this is so this is so of its time yeah like <laughs> like me and my friends are like dressed up in zombie makeup holding this poster going <laughs> and then when it came time for mayhem fest 2012 which i uh, they didn't give us tickets for but i was going to go anyway mm-hmm. uh we found out that virtually all the bands on that tour including rob was doing a meet and greet if you, you know, bought the cd mm-hmm. and i show up there and i tell rob the experience and my band at the time we even did a couple of his songs acoustically and so i told them that the zombie crawl is like how did that go down? <laughs> like, this sounds like just as big of a joke to him as it does to you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that, so that was a lot of fun getting to tell him the story. And but what was even better was one of my friends who was with me uh, was my friend Steve. And his guitar hero was John Five, who mm. we all know is with Rob. And I said to John, it's like, oh, John, the last time I met you, I told you that my friend Steve actually has your instructional DVD. Well, this is him. And John takes his hand and goes, oh, thank you. And just flutters his eyelashes at him. And my friend Steve was like, and I'm like the dad at Disney World who just took his kid there. And I was like, so what do you think, Steve? Steve? Steve, <laughs> Tally, snap out of it. Like, oh, yeah, yes, okay, yeah, thank you. Yes, I, I learned a lot from that DVD. I definitely love it. I like it by this, that, and the other. It was so cute to see. <laughs> do you still get starstruck? Uh, actually, yeah, I do. Because uh, even though I'm in my mid-30s, you know, I'm still a fan. Mm. It, it, I always thought it was important to keep the uh, – your fanboy side and your business side separate. You know, mm-hmm. once you're uh, there working, yes, it's all business. Get down to it. You finish the job. But once that's over and the show's done, then you can kind of you know, talk about how much of a fan you were and then how much this music meant to you, uh, what you got from it. So, mm. uh, you, so, yeah, I still get starstruck. You just got to know when it's okay to let that flag fly. Yeah. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think I get starstruck anymore at all. I think because I've, I've worked, I think I've worked in live sound too long. I've been too, I've been hardened and calloused, and I'm too cynical now. Musicians are they're exhausting. <laughs> they're, they're all. I still like really enjoy music. I can speak to musicians 
on di- I just speak to on different terms now. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, the magic Wait. is elsewhere. It's not necessarily in like the stage. It's like, like it's like the production side behind the stage and things like that that really impresses me. And I think that's what I get excited about. Yeah, I actually do too. Because uh, once you get more involved, the uh, uh, you will start to lose a little bit of that fanboy side, depending on who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you will find new things to like and appreciate about it. Like yeah. for me, I, I still want to go. I still want to be backstage at a concert, standing on the side of the stage, seeing all the production moving in and out. That's what mm-hmm. I want to see. Uh, because I, I'm a firm believer that it's time to bring theatrics back to rock because you just can't be up on stage playing your guitar and then you're done. Mm-hmm. You, if you want people to stop looking down their phones, you need to give them a reason to look up. Yeah. So, and that's why I think bands need to start doing again. Uh, there, now there are some who are doing that, that I definitely applaud. And the more involved you get, the more you will find new things to appreciate. So, uh, well, so I will say, if you love something, be careful about doing it for a living. But if you decide to do it for a living, you will find new things to like about it. I think you're right. I think you've, you've spoken with more experience than I have on that particular matter. In terms of like theatrics back into rock, it's quite interesting because I think I, I like no theatrics, but I like the minimum level of deliberate theatrics. And what that mm. means is it's not necessarily like an Iron Maiden-esque stage, but it's mm. like like with Black Sabbath, when I saw Black Sabbath, like what was it? nearly nearly 10 years ago now it they had like the 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 kabuki shoots or whatever you call them so they had like the big curtain that's that shrouds the stage when they the band are setting up and then it'll kick into like black south and then these kabuki things will go zoom, and it'll bring the entire curtain up or down really quickly um <laughs> like, I, like those like it's very it's a very small thing but it enhances the experience like exponentially that's like the stuff i'm like yes it's all in the timing it's all in that that little moment and the reveal um not yeah. necessarily like Aussie hitting notes <laughs> yeah i remember like uh the band of data remember uh at one point uh I think their stage set was like basically like the front side of a house because the idea was that they were just dudes from the suburbs who played metal. Mm-hmm. But by the end of the show, they did something that was so genius, so brilliant that I just went, how the hell did no one else think of this? <laughs> and all they did was they dropped a curtain that had that giant Looney Tunes logo and said, the end. <laughs> and I'm like, how did no one else think of this? That's genius. <laughs> it's so like, it, like, sure, it's a big, it's a big curtain, but still, it's like no one else thought of this but them. Mm. It's <laughs> you know, so you know. Like, well, while well, I mean, I'm, I'll tell you the story of this T-shirt because it yeah, is kind of like it, it's an appropriate story for you, I think, Justin. So, <laughs> 2005, Ascendancy comes out. They come to the I, UK. Ozfest uh, 2005. You saw my download, probably. No, I didn't. Really? I actually, no, no. I actually saw on the, the headlining tour. Um, oh, really? In I know, September. Because I know they called download. They, they officially called download Ozfest for that year in the UK. For that day, the, the Saturday was Ozfest. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I remember. I was right. I was in the middle of my exams because I was just a wee lad, and <laughs> so I couldn't. I couldn't go because I, I think I, I, I don't know. It was like quite expensive for a Saturday ticket. I didn't have like a car or anything. But anyway, mm. they, they came in for the headlining tour in September, so I, I went down. Um, front row, blah blah blah. Everything's great. <laughs> Roadrunner United comes out in October or November, and I'm in the states at that time, so I buy the CD. Um, and I'm in the Mall of America in Minnesota, and Matt Heafy walks in, 
And I'm like, what the, what the fuck? Like, literally, in the, I'm in the food court just having a sandwich, and he's just walking past. We make eyes, and we're both, like, clearly in the know, because I'm wearing a Maiden T-shirt, and he's Mahithi. <laughs> and then we just all, like, get on with our lives. But the, they came for another headline tour the following March. And they did a... <laughs> they did... I'll call it a meet and greet at Bradford Rio's, which was like a, a small sort of club venue near to where I was living. Um, but I don't think they knew it was a meet and greet. So all these kids came into this venue and they were on stage doing sound check and all the production guys were there just like, what the fuck's going on? We're meant to be like working. So they just <laughs> went, all right, fuck it, it's karaoke time. So the people came up from the crowd to sing like um, the Trooper, Master of Puppets, uh, Dying Arms, a few things. And I got up and sung the Trooper and Master of Puppets. Um, and then Travis, uh, like, fucking handing out uh, little little test tubes of Jaeger. It was brilliant. I was only like 16. And um, Travis gave me this T-shirt. He just, really? the, he just went to the merch stand and said, come here and um, go and pick a t-shirt. And I was like, oh, that's great. So that's, it's well, still held up. Well, here's my trivia story. Because as I told you, that was the last show I did for Roadrunner. Because yeah. uh, I, I was moving back to Florida. And uh, I was at the town ballroom. And I was trying to see if I can catch them before the show. And Matt Heafy, let's just say we're out the back. You can't miss this guy. Out the back door, there's like one of those tiny little square windows with like bulletproof glass so that was the only chance he had to make eye contact. So I'm like, on my tippy toes, kind of peeking through, and I'm holding up the poster and a Sharpie. He's like, he's like, so I'm like, well, give me one second. And uh, he finishes up, and then he and the rest of the band comes out. They sign the posters and everything. And I told him that I was with Roadrunner. I was there to you know, work their show. They thanked me for my efforts. And then they told me to hang around the show afterwards. Mm -hmm. So the show finishes up. They find me. And they drag me backstage up to this office room. And I am just geeking out because I never had a meet and greet like this. Mm. And, and when I start doing that, I go into what I call stand-up mode because I do I, I consider myself to be an amateur comedian. And uh, one, the, one of the bands they had there was a band called uh, After the Burial, and they were, they were Canadian bands. And if you know anything about Canada – one of their biggest exports is the Trailer Park Boys. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> and I got this after the burial guitar pick, and on the back it had a picture of Bubbles. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think I still have the pick, too. And and this girl who was being uh, the band said uh, that uh, she uh, hit some – I think she said she hit a cat on the way over. Like, you killed Steve French. How could you? <laughs> Who was a cat in the show? Yeah. And I am uh, like, I'm cracking jokes and everything. And the band, they are just laughing it up. It's like, dude, this guy's got a knack for comedy. And it's like, oh, thank you. I and just told them that I would just watch stand up DVDs over and over again to learn how to set up a joke, deliver a punchline. And, is, and they're like, hold on, motherfucker, we got to get you like a drumstick here. And sure enough, they give me a drumstick, they give me a guitar pick. Mm -hmm. And I, it was time for you know, the big picture. And so I take off my hat. I go stand next to him, you know, strike the pose. And the manager's like, uh, you might want to put the hat back on. Like, really? Hat hair? Uh, I should really just shave myself. <laughs> and Matt is trying so hard not to laugh that I just start talking in ventriloquism talk. I just went, shut up, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> and... Now and the guy has been following me on Twitter ever since. <laughs> he probably <laughs> doesn't crazy. remember. Yeah, he probably doesn't remember me. But <laughs> that the fact that I was able to get the band to crack up like that, well, that was uh, a pretty uh, fun feeling. <laughs> it's, 
it's cool how then they kind of when they see the street teamers because they won't be instructed to be that nice they'll just know all right these are the people that have been supporting the the shows you know on, on day in day out yeah matter of fact i don't even think they knew that uh, a street teamer was going to be there mm. uh, matter of fact uh, there was actually one time they sent me out to a show with no swag at all mm -hmm. uh so I just, it was called, it was for a band called Young the Giant. Uh, I think this is one of their more indie bands. Yeah. And I, I met I with the band. Them, I think. They might. Uh, and I just said to my boss, like, yo, hey, you know, where's the swag? You know, what are we supposed to do? Like, oh, just go to the show. Have fun. Really? Uh, so uh, I go there and I would meet up with a band, tell them I was with Roadrunner. And they were always surprised when someone from Roadrunner was there. Mm. I said, I said, yeah, the weird thing is that they didn't send any swag for me to promote the show with, uh, that, which like, really? Like, yeah, I don't get it. Like, am I just here to see how you guys are live? They never said, mm. uh, I didn't even get a, um, a report for them or a, a request for a report for as to how the show was. I just got a free show out of the deal and they were, they weren't even the headlining act. Uh, this band called minus the bear was. Uh, yeah. They were the headline act, and um, they actually sold out the venue, which was surprising. Uh, they're, yeah. they're on Electra now, Young and the Giant. Okay, uh, but one of the more... Uh, I do have stories that are not uh, directly connected to Roadrunner, but indirectly. Like, uh, this is perhaps my best one. Uh, as, as you know, at one point, they had Dream Theater, one, perhaps mm -hmm. the kings of progressive metal, uh, and still are. And we got stuff to promote the uh, the CD. Uh, they weren't on tour yet. So I would go out there, you know, hand out the stuff. And they were coming to my neck of the woods, but they didn't have a spot available for a street teamer. Okay. And they just said that, I don't know, we didn't get a ticket for this tour. Like, ah, uh, shit. And the, show, and the show was sold out. It was actually during their tour with Iron Maiden. They had an off show with uh, this opening band called ZO2 from New York City. And... I just thought, man, what am I going to do? Because you know, I'd love to meet them. I want their autograph. Mm -hmm. And my friend Don, who has worked shows before, said, try get there, getting there in the morning because most bands will do a morning sound check. So get yeah. there in the morning, get, get their autograph, their photos, and then you can just go home. So the venue was 90 minutes from where I lived. And I got there like maybe 8 o'clock in the morning. I didn't know mm -hmm. what time they were coming in. And uh, so I'm just sitting there out the back of the venue. Uh, then – Two hours go by, and the bus pulls in. Figured, okay, here they are. It's their roadies. Eh, oh, well, just keep waiting. And I, I brought a bunch of electronics with me to keep me occupied. Uh, but then one of the uh, roadies comes up to me and goes, are you trying to meet the band? Yeah. They're not going to be here until 4. Okay, well, well <laughs> like, screw it. I've come this far. They went, yeah, go get something to eat, and you know, they'll be here. Mm -hmm. So I go get something to eat. I come back. And all my electronics start dying on me. The battery starts going oh, low. No. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Now I got to conserve all this stuff. And then by five, and keep my doors open at seven. Uh, the band and Dream Theater is still not there. But the uh, opening band shows up, ZO2. And I'm hanging out with them. I'm telling them my story. Like, what? You've been here since eight in the morning and it's five? What, what are you? And, the, and, and like I said, the show was sold out. So they go in for their sound check. The singer, Paulie Z turns around and says, look, I can't believe you've been here for this long just to meet Dream Theater. So I'll tell you what, give us your name, your first and last name. We'll put you on our guest list so you can get in. 
they gave me a free ticket to the show. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't believe, like, now, like I'm actually going to get to see Dream Theater. So That's great. <laughs> six, yeah, six o'clock rolls by. They're still not here. Doors <laughs> open in an hour. Like I have been here since eight in the morning. Where are they? And they don't show up until six thirty. Wow. They were cutting it close. And Sneak it in. Yeah, they all meet me. I tell them my story. And they are all flabbergasted. Like, you've been here since that long? Why? What for? I'm like, I didn't know what time you were coming in. I want your autograph. I want to get some stuff signed for me and some of my friends. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and I remember when I was meeting their uh, their keyboard player, Jordan, he was signing you know, some posters for me. I said, yeah, they just didn't have a show uh, booked uh, for for me to work and he goes like well that was fucking rude of them <laughs> <laughs> and i meet mike portnoy and i tell him that yeah i've been here since eight in the morning and matter of fact i'm dying back i was like dear god go so go get something to eat i don't want you passing out on my conscience <laughs> uh, uh, i meet uh uh, John Mayung, and let me just say, that guy has a grip that can crush a walnut. <laughs> uh, I meet uh, John Petrucci and his son. His son was actually there. I oh. went like, yeah, I went, that's your dad? Yes. Lucky. <laughs> uh, and again, like, they're all just shocked that, I, that they couldn't believe I'd been there for that long. But mm. uh, James didn't come out of the bus. Uh, Mike Portnoy walks back out and says, like, look, he's not going to come in until, like, 15 minutes till we hit the stage, so you better get, go in there get yourself a good seat. So I'm thinking, what am I going to do here? Because I don't want to miss the guy. Like, this mm. could be my chance. I don't know how they operate. But the opening band did give me that ticket. The least I can do is see their set. Yeah. So I get the idea that I'm going to come out when they do their encore. Yeah. That, yeah, so just leave all my stuff, all that stuff in my car, go in and get a seat and i got pretty close i was like maybe three rows back from the stage uh zo2 hits the stage and they bring out mike portnoy to do tom sawyer uh yeah that was that was a lot of fun cool and then yeah uh their set ends their the curtain closes and i used to have this little flashlight it's about the size of a laser pointer mm -hmm. that was actually a corn flashlight where if you shine it it projected the corn logo so when the curtains closed i pull out this light and I shine it onto the curtain, and everybody in the audience is going, what the hell is Corn doing here? We hear you see Dream Theater. <laughs> is Corn showing up? What's going on? And, and I am just sitting there trying not to laugh, because I can't believe that this is ha all this is happening. <laughs> and then suddenly, the guy next to me is like, dude, like they're on to you. Like, oh, I don't know what's going on. Like, was Corn scheduled to be here? Uh, and then suddenly, it's uh, they hit the stage, and... To describe seeing them live, this is how I've always summed it up. It's like seeing a magic trick performed without the curtain drawn, but there's still magic. You're not seeing the secret. It's still yeah. magic. Because <laughs> just seeing them like up that close shredding like that, it was like, is that possible? Because you know, you, you look through this on like a YouTube video and you have to wonder if there's some sort of like camera tricks going on here. Uh, but no, like that's, it's actually them. And I'll never forget, like, wrapping my uh, my arms around the guys next to me. I went, life was so simple. <laughs> and I, keep in mind, I am covered in sweat, okay? Like, I am sweating from places I did not know I had pores. <laughs> and uh, 
So I had a blast with the show. They come out for the encore and I dash out to my car. Yeah. I dash out to my car, grab everything, the posters, the CDs, the Sharpies, everything. And uh, I'm seeing the roadies there and they actually said something that was pretty cool to me. They said, if that opening band did not give me a ticket, they would have snuck me in. And at first I'm thinking, Fair yeah, right. I went, yeah, right. Like, no, seriously, dude, you earned your spot in there. <laughs> and that was the first time I ever felt like I had legitimately earned respect. You know, uh, <laughs> no, because like people seem to just throw out that word. And I think uh, it's lost a lot of its meaning. But this was the first time I, act I knew where I had earned it. Mm. And that was an incredible feeling. So we're waiting out back That's by cool. the buses. There's this swarm of people. And I see some security guard kind of go, come out, take a look. It's like, okay, we got like maybe like 15, 20 kids here. But you know what? There's been this one kid who's been here since like 8 in the morning. Look, he's earned this dude's autograph, okay? <laughs> and then I see James coming out with a security guard. I yeah. go running up to this guy, and the guard goes, whoa, 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 buddy. You're first. <laughs> <laughs> and keep in mind, it's like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. And I'm telling him my story. Again, he couldn't believe it. All these kids want to meet him. But turns out I'm the only one who brought a Sharpie. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, go ahead. I'm, I'll, See, I'll that's till midnight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's like midnight rolls around, if not later. He And he signs everything. He takes pictures. He caps the Sharpie and goes, now go home. <laughs> <laughs> I did not get home till like three o'clock in the morning. Oh man! And my my parents, my siblings, they're they're like, "Why are you so pink?" Well, turns out that's what happens when you stand in front of a giant reflective tour bus for hours on end. <laughs> wow! And yeah, and I actually sent a message to Mike Portnoy on Cameo asking if he remembered that night and me. Yep. He does. <laughs> That was perhaps one of my best stories from Roadrunner. <laughs> That's great. Let's 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 bring it into let's bring this one into the station, Justin. So I asked I sent you some questions. Um, yeah. I don't know if you've done any any prep thinking about the five your five best or five favorite Roadrunner records. Lay it on me. Let's hear it. Okay, for the first one, I'd have to give it to number five, Porcupine Trees: The Incident. Cool. Uh, yeah, because. Uh, because I actually have a bit of a story with this one. Uh, for one of the prizes, I selected Porcupine Tree's autograph. Again, autographs, that's immediately what I go for. And I got the, the prize in the mail, but it was just a signed CD booklet. There was no CD. So I go to a Best Buy, and I see the CD there, and I buy it to check it out. I open it up and realize, oh, wow, this is a two-CD combo. Not a lot of bands do this nowadays. Mm -hmm. So I take the first CD to pop, pop in just to find out the first CD is one hour long song. <laughs> now it's in sections, you can't skip tracks, but that was the first time I experienced in what, what I call an arc song, a song that has right. multiple parts. And uh, when they actually came to Buffalo, they didn't have, a, they didn't have a, a, a taker for that show for the street team, but I still want to go back there to the show and meet them. And I'm having the band sign all my posters and they're like, you're going to be the best friend anyone's ever fucking had. You know that? <laughs> and, uh, and when the band first gets on stage, they say the whole, you know, please no pictures. Like, oh, God, am I going to deal with an egoholic on this one? Uh, but no, they, they weren't. Because uh, when they, because uh, the, the first thing they did was play that one hour long song. 
then took a 10 minute break. They literally had a digital counter projected on stage that was counting backwards from 10 minutes. Oh, cool. And yeah, and when that was over with, that's when you could say it became a party. And I actually sent Steve Wilson, the frontman, a message saying that how much I enjoyed the show. That was my first prog rock show. And I was really glad to see that uh, they weren't egoholics. They were just doing this giant hour long song. They were setting a mood. They're like, oh, cheers. I'm that glad you like that. And so, so that album does hold a special place in my heart. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Now, for the second one, I have to go, or number four, I'd have to say Spine Shanks, The Height of Callousness. Awesome. Because, yeah, I thought yeah. Spine Shake was a band that deserved a lot more cred than they should have gotten. Uh, because for those who haven't heard the album, it starts off with one of the best bangers I have ever heard. I mean, you hear this thing and you literally want to start banging your head, laying your hair sway in the air. And when the, la when the first song ends, it just ends with a scream and then cuts immediately to the next one. And it just does not stop. It was this was non-stop in your banging bang your head metal. And I just thought they deserved so much more credit than they should have. Like I like they did the third stage at Ozfest 2001, but I just wish they brought them back because that album was just fantastic. Yeah, I think it got it got rooted in the new metal glut, which people sort of don't revere as much as they're doing. It's seeing a kind of resurgence these days, so you never know. You might get lucky. Well, I think the thing with new metal, because that was my era, and I stand behind it. I love new metal. I love, yeah. I do. I love new metal. I love Limp Bizkit. I don't think they deserve the hate they got. Uh, and I can see you smirking, like, oh god, this guy. <laughs> no, I, I, it wasn't my. I, I was a little bit after, but every mm. time you know, Roland appears in every single club on a Friday night. So you know, it, it, I, I don't think the hate it gets is well founded. Mm. Um, I'm smirking because I'm nostalgic. Okay, <laughs> you can you can edit that part out if you want. No, it's cool. that, that, just because that's the reaction I usually get, at least here in the states. Uh, but uh, I think with new metal, it was they didn't really quite know what to do with it because it was so focused on grooves rather than shredding licks mm. that, that, that I think they figured that any band that just had a groove you shove into that category, whether it was worthy or not. Because yeah. I remember one of the characteristics was detuned guitars replace guitar solos and yet godsmack a band who has a, a solo in almost every other song still got shoved into that category mm. so i just think you had this boom that happened nobody knew what to do with all these bands and they just shoved them into that category yeah yeah that sounds about right yeah because like a band like disturbed like they got shoved into that and sure they didn't have licks uh but they didn't really have grooves either no like it was a bit more um no it's, it's its own thing yeah a, yeah so i, I never saw scrap it yeah so i don't I, I don't consider them to be new metal uh and sadly a band lots of bands got lost in that shuffle uh, from them to alien and farm mm. like i felt like alien and farm they had a new metal hit with smooth criminal but if you listen to the rest of that cd it's they're more of a warp tour band yeah they still go though they're still going yeah I'll not not exactly recognized for what they're doing these days okay let's see for number three uh now keep in mind i'm only counting records that have actually been released on the label if a band has a record that was released later in their catalog but was better than that album i'm not going to count it i appreciate it on, that it has to, it has to be on roadrunner That's we're how shilling for a company here not for yeah. a band <laughs> uh so for that 
for number three, I have to give it to Hatebreed Supremacy. Yeah. That was a great album. And I was familiar with Hatebreed, but didn't like they were around, but I never quite heard them. Mm-hmm. I didn't really start noticing them until maybe Ozfest 2006 or seven. Uh, although, matter of fact, uh, when they were headlining Ozfest 2002 at the second stage, I managed to get my way backstage at, uh, over the second stage, and them and Down were having a barbecue back there. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, but I just kind of I, I liked. Uh, the attitude and Josta's vocal delivery and how they are when you really read the lyrics, they're actually kind of a more positive band mm-hmm. uh, about, you know, conquering your demons or rising above a situation and yet still being tough and brutal. I thought that was actually rather incredible. I thought the hardcore leanings do come out a little bit more poignantly on that album. Mm-hmm. In that, in the way that you said there is a little bit more uh, positivity through anger. Yeah, it's because yeah. I know metal has this, uh, uh, well, to be fair, a correct stereotype of being angry, but it is not, it is good to find a way to st- tap into that anger without being anger. Uh, that and it's hard to do that, especially when you get older, because you do start oh, yeah. to lose you, you do start to lose that uh, a- that anger within you, uh, <laughs> which is probably one of the reasons why I like Ice Nine Kills because they managed to tap into that by singing about horror films. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, see, so for, let's see, was that? That was uh, number three. So you're okay, on number so, two. Okay, number two. Uh, I'm going to have to give it to Kill Switch Engage, The End of Heartache. Because I like, and I actually preferred Howard Jones over Jesse Leach, just because uh, I, for one, thought he had a better tone with his voice. Cool. But also, I like, the, again, I like the fact that he just wore his emotions on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, this is what I went through. This is what I'm singing about. You can take it or leave it. If you, do, if you don't like it, hey, no hard feelings. That's what I appreciate about that record. Uh, because, again, it's heavy, but they are singing about heartfelt things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, again, something you will start to feel as you get older. Uh, so that record, I'd have to say, uh, it would have to be on number two. I say that's, that's it's an essential record, that one. If anyone yeah. hasn't heard it, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now, I will. I do have to make at least an honorable mention here because I want to put this band on there. Sure. Uh, uh, but for an honorable mention, I'd have to give it to Slipknot Subliminal Versus Volume 3. Sweet. Because, yeah, because yeah. I like the challenge that record presented. Uh, it's old news, but uh, one of Slipknot's critics said, oh, all he does is just drop the F-bomb over and over again. But Corey wanted to prove to himself that he wasn't just that, that he actually could write thought-provoking lyrics. Mm-hmm. So he made that record without any cursing whatsoever. And when, I, like I said, I used to work at Walmart, and people would come up to me and go, like, hey, the new Slipknot. Oh, wait, it's censored. I go, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I went, wait, you mean this isn't censored? Nope, you can actually get it for that price. eleven eighty-eight instead of going over to FYE and getting it for $17. Wow. Sweet! And they, and they would buy it. So I like that record for how creative it is. Uh, I do. Uh, but So for my number one, I'd have to give it to uh, not the latest release, but the release bef- uh, after this cur- before this current one from Korn. Okay. Uh, I, I, the Serenity of Suffering, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... I'll check. Yeah, because Korn 
they were the band there were four bands who introduced me into the world of heavy metal uh that was corn godsmack rob zombie and ramstein and when the band that i was uh was vouching for got them it was like a dream come true i got to you know uh, i got to promote uh, two of my favorite things at once and mm -hmm. that was an album where they actually got head back and their sound was just better than ever and matter of fact i even play seven string guitars like they do and so that would probably have to be my favorite record from roadrunner plus not to mention uh like they got Corey taylor to make an appearance on there mm -hmm. uh and while their latest album the nothing is good if you're not careful, this album is so depressing, it will take you down with it. That's what I said about the album. <laughs> and to yeah, be fair... I think, I think it... Uh, yeah, Path of Totality. Uh, no, I think it was called uh, The Nothing, because that the Path of Totality was their dubstep album. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, hang on. Da, 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 da. Where are we, Con? I was looking for the one with... Um... That white background with a dude falling. <laughs> uh, let me see. Oh, yeah, yeah, the nothing being, yeah. Yeah, yeah which, okay. to be fair, was a rough album for Jonathan because he lost his wife. So it's no wonder why that album oh, was that's so a, depressing. Oh, that, oh, sorry, I didn't know it was Roadrunner road, 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 road 1. Ah. Yeah, yeah, th there was one album they released that uh, in their later years that was not on Roadrunner, and that was the Paradigm Shift. Yes. That, yeah, that... I don't know what happened with that album, but to be honest, I thought while the album was good, it was still kind of forgettable. Like I don't really remember any songs off that album. Yeah. But so, so I have to say, "Corns and Serenity of Suffering" is my number one album from Roadrunner. Yeah, there we go. Sorry, yeah, I found it now. <laughs> <laughs> I just spent all this time just trying to look for it. No, that's a very interesting and eclectic mix there, Justin. Uh, Ask the thing question to Stephen Hill, and his, his sensibilities were more in the 90s, so it was all about like Sepultura and Typo Negative, and it's, it's interesting to see the, the idea of that question, especially when you ask it, or when I ask it, to people who aren't Roadrunner personnel or Roadrunner artists, is to really get that spectrum of just how impactful the label is, because it's across all eras and across different bands. It, it really is, and... Uh... I was never against them wanting to experiment with getting like more alternative rock or indie rock bands uh, because, you know, it, it is still a business. Uh, mm -hmm. While the music is still art, at the end of the day, it is still a business. And mm -hmm. there's no telling, you know, uh, you if, whether or not this band could be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember I told you that there was one band I got to work for called Taking Dawn that uh, – they didn't make as big of an impact. I thought maybe the, I think the way the label saw it was they got that great song in the God of War three soundtrack. I thought maybe they could ride that wave, mm -hmm. but uh, at the end of the day, it didn't stick. And as heartbreaking as it is for a lot of hopefuls, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that there is no guarantee with this business. Oh, uh, God, you, no. could, you could do everything right. And there is still no guarantee if you're going to be a star or not. And you got to put the shoe on the other foot as well, because one thing the business does is it seeks out the bands that people are going to like, but mm -hmm. it doesn't catch it all the time. So if, if you take your, your favorite band in the entire world, like to get ACDC or something like that, mm -hmm. the more you start learning about the industry, the more you realize there's probably a band out there that's 10 times better than ACDC that no one will ever hear because mm -hmm. the business didn't impact it. 
um, it didn't quite fall into the net. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, I think Spineshank could have been one of those bands. I think they could have at least been as big as Static X, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, so to the point where they may not be selling out arenas, but at, they would be at least uh, mainstream names in the metal circle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, and just my time with Roadrunner was definitely some of the best days of my youth. I got to go to concerts for free. I got to sh- uh, show for bands and even got to meet a lot of them. I mean, how many people can say they got to see Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper for free? <laughs> <laughs> why, so why did you leave the, the road crew then? Well, what basically happened was that uh, uh, I had moved to Florida. Now, and at the time when I was growing up down here, Florida was still a big hotspot for music. Yeah. Uh, and then roughly around 2013, I kind of realized that something was happening with the music scene. Uh, and what was the biggest indicator was actually the Mayhem Festival. Uh, while I definitely loved that festival, I just noticed that they got the same two headliners over and over again, mm-hmm. which were Slipknot, who did it like three times, and Rob Zombie, who did it twice, out of the eight years they were around. Right. And I just kind of was like, wait, there's so many other bands. Why aren't you getting them? And I just noticed that these festivals were getting smaller and smaller and smaller, uh, like when OzFest 2010 happened, that was a very bare bones festival. Uh, there was, like, there wasn't as many vendors, or like only maybe six stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, granted, the, the the main stage lineup was pretty cool. I mean, there was uh, Ozzy, Crew, Halford, uh, so uh, that was pretty wicked. Yeah. But I, again, I just noticed that things were just getting smaller. And when, by the time I moved back to Florida, because I felt like maybe just Buffalo was dying. Right. Uh, so I get to Florida, and that's when I had noticed that things just ended. Uh, Mayhem Fest stopped, Uproar stopped, Warp Tour recently just came to an end. And that's when I reached, and I just noticed that these festivals are being reduced to these one-city weekend festival shows that didn't come anywhere near me. Mm-hmm. And none of these, not even the single regular tours did. And I'm just wondering, like, what am I going to do? Like, that was a big part of my identity. That was who I was. Yeah. And not to mention, I thought metal was getting a bit too heavy. Like, it just seemed like metal was becoming a pissing contest. It just seemed like to be who could be heavier than the next, more brutal than the next, to lower than the next, be faster than the next. Mm -hmm. To the point where I just said, guys, stop. I cannot tell you all apart anymore. <laughs> Stop trying to reinvent the wheel and just write a song. We will move on from there. <laughs> and so I just and I just lost touch. And my boss had left the road crew at the time. Right. And in matter of fact, just recently I went to check on the road crew, see if uh, things were still going on. And while you can still sign up, I noticed that uh, the Twitter has not been active since 2019. Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Not a good sign. I think, uh, their Instagram has not been active since 2020, which, to be fair, COVID could be a reason, but still, you think they would at least be promoting, you know, the latest new releases? Yeah, you think they'd be just doing the rounds on the, you know, for everything else. And even when I tried submitting again, uh, it's been a few days and I haven't heard back. So part of me does wonder if the road crew is done. That's crazy. It is. It, it, it is. And these one city weekend shows, like, 
I gotta say, part of me does not like it just because uh, the festivals, they came to you. It was a giant, you know, like summer camp and uh, they, they're like, especially with OzFest, they would update you with like with videos and interviews and uh, bands talking about the album, talking about the tour. In, in a way, it felt like a summer metal camp, heavy metal camp. Mm -hmm. uh, but now that's been reduced to this. A lot of the magic is gone. Yeah. But, and I know a lot of people want to point to Napster and Spotify and believe me, I get that. However, I just think a big another big reason why things fell by the wayside is that, frankly, internet and YouTube. Uh, you could you know you could you know pay X amount of money to see Sabaton, or you could just watch Markiplier play the latest Five Nights at Freddy's. And I think if there's one thing I would like to say to metal bands and musicians out there is that you do have to make a better connection with the youth. That's why I like what uh, Matt Heafy's doing with being a, a Twitch streamer, yeah. uh, just, just like with Herman Lee. By doing that, they're on a platform where a lot of kids are. They're playing their instruments. They're working with other uh, musicians on YouTube. And I think that's going to be the way bands will have to get themselves noticed. Uh, just to, to make a name for yourself on those platforms uh, before jumping out into the, the concert music scene. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. The dynamics completely changed. Um, mm -hmm. I heard one person say that the live stream gig is going to be the new live album, and I was like, "Well, you know what? That doesn't sound too unremarkable if you think about the live albums of say like the mid '90s, late '90s when they were just fucking loud. You could hear the crowd and all of them, and it it didn't really happen in the same way for the following ten years. So it wouldn't surprise me if that was the way it went. Yeah, when they when they when they started doing these live stream performances, I thought that was actually brilliant because oh no, it's good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, because uh, I know a lot of people want to, especially Mark Mike Portnoy wants to point the finger at Spotify, but according to I think it was the Black Keys, they said like guys, look, the label is the one who uh, leases these songs to us, and we pay them for it, and the label is the one who pays the bands. So now if you're your own artist and you're going through Spotify, then yeah, you do have to deal with them personally. But that's uh, that's something that you have to learn how to do. You need to learn how to be a good negotiator. That's what uh, Misha from Periphery does. He negotiates all their own contracts. He knows what he's worth. He knows how much he can pull in. Mm -hmm. And with that, he can use to get the kind of money he's asking for. Matter of fact, I would highly recommend people check out, and this guy's not paying me. I just learned a lot from him, to check out the Punk Rock NBA uh, I laugh because I, I literally just started listening to that. <laughs> like literally about two days ago. Yeah, Finn McKenty, yeah. uh the host of it, you can actually reach out to him pretty easily on Instagram and see if he'll be on your podcast because uh, he's very approachable. Yeah. And he brought out, he made just a lot of good points and just something made me go, you know what, the business end or the, uh, is now in our hands. Now we can figure out how to promote this stuff, but you got to put in that work. Uh, but so if you want more money, more of the profits, you can get it, but you mm. have to be willing to put to take on the risk and put and do the work. Uh, now you can the the option to do to set up with a merch team or a label is there, but you still have to read that contract. So it's a, so I think we're just right now in a transitioning period, and yes. we're just now starting to figure out uh, what to do. So I do think we are better days are ahead of us. I think there's another. There's a, there's a few people who said this to me in the process of this project, and 
it's a bit of a throwaway phrase, but people tend to say there's never been more money in metal. There's just never been more money in it. And I think that's mostly down to like the vinyl bundle element of it. I think that side of it has exploded in ways they didn't anticipate. And I think uh, you're right in that we're in a transitional period and it's not, I'm not trying to say the money is returning to the industry. I'm just saying that the way the money is traveling through the industry is different and people yeah. are starting people's incentive structure and what they're going to spend money on, on is different. So yeah. it'll be to see what it settles on. Yeah, I think, and I actually think the, the main reason for the vinyl boom doesn't really have to do with the sound. I think what it has to do is you have this big, product in your hand it's the same as what you were saying with the promo series yeah like uh, yeah. here yeah check this out and you have like you know this nice fully rendered picture here it's professionally made compare that to just a thumbnail on your phone yeah it's not very really impactful you look at a vinyl record and it's much bigger mm-hmm. regardless i personally don't care if people prefer vinyl over digital the band's making money that's all i care about but i think a big reason why vinyl came back in vogue is just because it's big yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you see a billboard on the side of the road, it gets your attention because it's big. Mm-hmm. Ramstein, yeah. they pull they pull your eyes at their show because it's big. And fire <laughs> helps too. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> right, dude. I'm, I'm, let's bring this one into the station. Is there anything I've missed in terms of like in stories, anecdotes, or anything like that? Uh, well, uh, let's see here. There were. Uh, there were times when, uh, let's see here, when I was doing that Taking Don show, uh, it was a headline tour with Nonpoint and In This Moment, and uh, they were selling this own little VIP package. I figured, huh, wonder if I can if I if I can get the uh, uh, the job for the show, then I don't have to buy a ticket and I can just get the VIP package, mm. which combined was like maybe like seventy five dollars, but I got the job. So I just got the VIP package, which is like 45 bucks. Right. So save okay. money there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that worked. Uh, meeting Limp Biscuit, that was a trip for me because I was definitely there for all that. And uh, Fred's actually very approachable. He uh, uh, He's not what a lot of people said he was back then. And I told him you know, what all these songs meant to me and what I loved about it. And I just said the like, oh, total nerdgasm. And he goes, what's a nerdgasm? <laughs> it's like, I, and and I will say too, their drummer John Otto, he's actually pretty short. <laughs> he he's small, and uh, Wes Borland, uh, he is still a fantastic uh, guitarist. I asked, like, dude, do you still play seven strings? Like, nah, I just went back to six. I went traitor. <laughs> yeah me, uh th- that was a big joy for me and they asked me what did you think of the show like oh i couldn't attend and they were stunned like why couldn't you go to the show like well i work at a hospital and they get first dibs on my time and i think they were bummed out that this uber fan didn't get to go and mm-hmm. i said hey if i if i if i can't attend the show then i would at least like to meet the band and uh i couldn't have been happier they even gave me free guitar picks yeah Another uh, result. Yep. Uh, and oh, but perhaps the biggest gig that I got to do for Roadrunner was the Uproar tour. That was its first year, and for me, that felt like the biggest show that I got to do because it was they were sponsoring the tour. They had mm-hmm. this tent. They were promoting all the. I know Stone Sour and Airborne were on the bill, and what was funny about that uh, about that experience for me 
was at the time I had just taken my friend Steve Kelly to Mayhem Fest in 2010, mm-hmm. where he got to meet his guitar hero. We got to go backstage to meet Corn. He got to meet Randy Bly from Lamb of God. Sweet. And yeah, and we all and we worked at the same McDonald's at the time. And so we uh so uh it's like a couple of days after, you know, he's back home, I'm back home, it's time to go to work. Uh, I walk in the door and I notice he's got like this tiny little crowd of people with him and he's telling them what happened at the show. And as soon as I walk in, he goes, that's him. And these people come right up to me. It's like, dude, can you, tell, can you take me to a show? Can you? Can you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and sadly, uh, a lot of these people either can't afford to go or they pardon the quote here, chicken out. But there was one guy who was willing to take on the risk and uh, his name was Patrick. And now at the time, I didn't know if I was going to be working the show or not, but I still bought a pre-sale ticket and so did Steve. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I got the show. So I told Patrick, okay, this is what we're going to do here. Now I'm going to give you a printout of my ticket. It was one of those printout ones. And because I'm working with Roadrunner, I'm going to get let in with a sponsor's pass. So I'm going to take this ticket, make you a copy, and that's how you're going to get in. Now, the thing here is to, number one, act like you belong. Because if your eyes are darting around, they're going to think something's up. If you're on edge, they know something's wrong. <laughs> so the act, the goal here is to act like you belong. And when the main stage starts, the only thing I ask is do not take the seat that ticket belongs to. That's mine. I paid for it. Just find a seat that has no butt in it, and you'll be good. Just act like you belong. So uh, we get to the venue. I'm setting up. They are at the gate, and his heart is pounding. <laughs> and sure enough, beep. All right, have fun. And he just walks in like, that's it? Beep. And walks Steve. Yeah, that's it. That's done, man. I told you. He knows. And then they go run. and goes, oh, my God, Justin. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> but he was still flipping out because he can't believe that he just got into the show for free and it started with the second stage and uh the band hell yeah was on was performing and they are crowd surfing this guy can't i'm seeing him like from the tent and he is just losing his mind over this (laughs) and we were scheduled to meet stone sour but sadly they left before we could meet them but i wasn't really bummed out about that because you know i had met them already if anything i was more interested in meeting hell yeah because i wanted to meet vinnie paul so i was able to get away from the tent and meet him there and when it came time for airborne for some reason one of the swag packs we got what was what these airborne matchbooks but you right. open up the matchbooks and there were condoms in there fantastic yeah, so the band was called Airborne. They're on the stage, and I get this brilliant idea. I go, Airborne condoms, Airborne condoms, Airborne condoms, just chucking them into the air. Go, practice on your mom or your sister or your pocket pussy. Choose one. <laughs> <laughs> and the representative is just losing her mind. <laughs> it was the funniest thing she heard. Uh, I have no idea why they went with condoms. <laughs> the only conclusion I could come to, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it was said on the show called Mansers that used to be Spike TV, but supposedly Australia, which is where they're from, has more threesomes than any other continent. Okay, been, yeah, so maybe that has something to do with it. <laughs> uh, uh, 
uh, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably use those condoms and now have kids. So, <laughs> uh, but that was, them. yeah. But the, when they met Stone Sour, they were freaking out. I was like, dude, Corey Taylor gave me the finger. I can't believe it. <laughs> it's like, wait, where did he put it? Okay, good. Uh, but, and then, you know, as the show's over, you know, we're driving home. These guys are hanging out the side to my car window. You're going, yeah, bro! <laughs> I literally felt like a dad who just took their kid to Disney. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was the cutest damn thing ever. <laughs> and I did another show for Times of Grace, which was a side project of yeah. Mike D and Jesse Leach from Killswitch Engage. New now this, mm-hmm. And this, the show was out in a city called Syracuse, and it was two and a half hours from my house. Not that far in the grand scheme of things, but pretty far out there. And so I get there, and my name is not on the guest list. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Now, this, and this was a tightly packed town, so the buses were not parked behind the venue. They were not parked in front of the venue. They were parked behind other stores in the town. It's like, fuck, okay. where do I go here? It's like, like, so I'm knocking on doors, like, are you with Times of Grace? Are you with Times of Grace? Are you with Times of Grace? And finally, I get to the right bus. And they said, oh, yeah, they forgot to tell you, tell us that you were coming. Well, no biggie. And the guy uh, puts me on the guest list and then gives me, uh, like, one of those little stick-on VIP passes. Yeah. Yeah, so I, and I meet up with the band before the show, and uh, I went, I said, okay, are you you guys are not going to release one album and then break up, are you? Because I used to always hate it when bands do that, which in the grand scheme of things was kind of mean on my part. <laughs> and they're like, we don't plan on it. Like, okay, good. And I just turned my back to them facing their merch booth. I'm just kidding. You know I'm going to buy your album. I wasn't going to give – of course I'm going to buy your album. I wasn't going to get let you off that easily. <laughs> uh, but, of course, I had them sign my uh, CD. I, I, well, I bought the CD there. I had them sign it. I had them sign some posters for me and my friends. And then after the show, we're all hanging out at a bar that's right next to the venue. Uh, they're just celebrating. They're having a good show. I'm there with a bunch of drunken rock stars doing magic tricks for them, <laughs> because I because because I am a, also a trained magician. As I said, I am a, a performer, and I do this trick where I shove a pen up my nose, then pull it out of my mouth. And when you do that to a bunch of drunks at a bar, <laughs> they notice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that that show was was a good trip i remember under oath was actually uh headlining that show but that was also the first time i saw mike d use a seven string guitar and i even said to him like you know, i said you know i think you actually sound better with a seven string he goes that's why i'm using one yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow. so yeah that was a lot of fun uh doing uh i did get to do mayhem fest 2013 but uh, there wasn't a, a Roadrunner's tent. They just had us put up banners around the venue. And I'm like, okay, what next? Nothing. Enjoy the show. Really? I guess that's post-Warner, though, isn't it? That's that's uh, 2013. Yeah, that was, like I said, that's when I noticed things were starting to go on the decline. Yeah. There was there was one other uh, festival. Well, it was supposed to be a festival, but the weather canceled it out. I think it was called Disturbs Tattoo the Earth uh, Festival. Or maybe it was, yeah. Yeah. Basically, the way how that worked is that the all the opening bands you could actually see for free. They were performing in the parking lot, but because it was so windy, 
they had to cancel that side of the show out. But the right. main bands who are performing in the arena, you still got to see. So there weren't any refunds for that show. And uh, I was there still with Kill Switch Swag. Hand that stuff out, just doing my thing. Uh, but I didn't get to meet them for that show, which didn't bother me because I had met them previously. Uh, let someone else take it for now. And I'm trying to remember if there was any other stories from my time with Roadrunner. Uh, uh, meeting Slipknot, that was a trip, but I didn't get any uh, uh, a ticket for that show. I just, uh, it was one of the off shows for Mayhem Festival. Mm -hmm. Mayhem Fest, for some reason, didn't come, uh, didn't always come to Buffalo, but the headlining acts did, and we called it Mini Mayhem. And right, okay. uh, yeah, I remember- On an Cloud, off day or something like that. Yeah, I remember Clown was actually doing a signing for his photo album, his Slipknot photo album. And I was actually walking around with not just this, uh, but uh, oh no, it was an IB Anorexia T-shirt. That's <laughs> that I told you about. <laughs> uh, uh, I was walking around for that show wearing that shirt because it always gets a response. But I had this um, fake VIP laminate. It just came with this uh, merchandise box set that I got from Hot okay. Topic, and their crew was panning on it. They went, "Where'd you get that?" Where'd, you, where'd that come from? Like, why? What's it to you? Like, because if someone's handing out fake I, fake VIP passes, we got to do something. Like, <laughs> um, okay, no, look, I see it, It's fake. See, it's not really. Okay, good. Phew. Like, yeah, like this came with just a Hot Topic merchandise bundle. Like, okay, good. But as you can tell, I still got to meet Slipknot uh, <laughs> through their fan club outside the nine. And I do that trick for Mick Thompson with a pen. And he goes, fuck, you call me when you can do that with your dick. <laughs> yeah uh awesome yeah i got to live a lifestyle that so many people dream of doing and i wouldn't have traded for anything in the world <laughs> I'm, I'm with I, that yeah uh i think yeah i think that's it for, in terms of stories uh I'll, I'll, I'll be kicking myself in the ass if i come up with one later that i forgot to tell for this it's uh, cool man yeah, but that's the best way I can sum it up is though, I got to live the, the lifestyle so many people wanted. I got to go to the concerts for free. I got to chill for bands and I even got to meet them. Like there was nothing more a teenage metalhead could ever ask for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, mate, I'll close it out. Well, thank you very much for joining me and regaling with the, with the other side of this whole, uh, this whole shindig, the, the fan side. Why don't you have